0: Hey everyone! Welcome back to the Highland Southern Baptist Podcast and Happy Resurrection Day! This week we will have a special message as we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. If this is your first time listening in, or if you plan on visiting a church for the first time in a while, we really encourage you to pray and see where God wants you. Christianity isn't just some religion that you can pull out of your pocket to make you feel good, but a genuine relationship with the Creator of the universe. God doesn't promise it to be an easy life, but a fulfilling one that will last in eternity. Now, here's Pastor Keith. If you're in here, if you would, grab your Bible, open them up to the Gospel according to Luke. The Gospel according to Luke, chapter 23. And we're going to read from 33 in a little bit. Uh, The the resurrection story is really a pretty long story. I mean, honestly, if I stood up here and preached through the entire resurrection story, you guys would be here for a while. Uh, There is so much symbolism in this story, not that the, the story is intended to be symbolic, there's a lot of symbolic information in the story, the story is very literal. Now, um, I did something this year, and it wasn't even on purpose, it was, it was on accident, to be honest with you, um, and I, I say it was on accident, there are, there are no accidents with God, uh, I believe this was something that God actually did, in all of my years of ministry, um, 30 years, sorry I'm going to close this, I just noticed it's open, we'll get the air conditioner running. Bad stewardship. We are guilty as individuals of reading this book as if it is just a book. And as I poured through the resurrection story for this year, um, at one instant, and I, I kind of alluded to it a little bit on Facebook this morning, I posted on the Highland page, I sat back and closed my eyes and imagined this at the time that it all unfolded. I imagined what it would have been like to be in the crowd when all of the palm leaves were laid on the ground and Jesus Jesus strolled in Jerusalem on the back of a donkey that had never been ridden before. You could almost hear the sounds of all of the people screaming, Hosanna, Hosanna. To imagine Jesus or to be in the crowd when, in, when Jesus had walked into Jerusalem after spending nearly three years of his life, uh, the scriptures record for us that in many cases the Bible told us that it was not yet his time and he ducked out of a crowd, vanished, where he protected himself because it was not his time. He would exit in enough time to preserve his life. This last time that he went into into Jerusalem, it wasn't any preservation there. The woes to the Pharisees. He picked the biggest guy in the crowd and talked him down. Uh, told him exactly who they were, exactly what their problem was. He pulled no strings when it came to the authority that he used. To say that he upset some people is cutting it short. To imagine being someone who had lived under a culture of religion for so long and been taught the things that the people had been taught at the time, then to see Jesus, who had claimed throughout his three years of ministry that he was the Son of Man, and he had said so plainly on many occasions, performed miracles no one has ever performed in front of the eyes of the people that were there, for him to walk in and challenge who was considered to be the, the religious leaders of the day would have been an amazing thing to watch. We read this as stories, we, and, and I believe that we're guilty of not realizing that there were real human beings who were standing there watching this. That the apostles were real individuals who walked away from their uh, vocations for the sole purpose of the fact that Jesus just walked up to him one day and said, follow me. People who were in good paying jobs, who just walked away not knowing where it was going to lead. Those were real people. And then when you set yourself up to imagining the realness, and then you begin to think about when Jesus was whipped. The cat of nine tails don't want to cry in front of kids, and I almost did this morning, because the more I think about this, the more it gets me. Non-believers of today, they use a lot of excuses for the reasons they don't believe. But it doesn't take too much looking to figure out that even history itself says that this story is true. There's literally history that accounts to everything that the scripture says the man named Jesus, the place of the skull. Does anybody want to guess the Aramaic name for the skull? It's Calvary. We sing songs about Calvary. Historically, Calvary was a real place, a place where they really crucified people. Jesus is known historically, accepted by many religions, although they miss by calling him a prophet, second person of the Trinity, this was as real as it gets. This morning I asked the kids, I said, just pinch yourself. You feel it. Jesus did too. And when they took that cat of nine tails and they tied bone and wood and clay and rocks and sticks... On the end of each one of those tails, and they whipped Jesus with that. He took the whipping for me. He took the whipping for you. Do you guys ever have anybody in your life take the blame for something that you did? Willingly, without any expectation of return. Because when I imagine those things digging into his body as they hit him with them. And when they hit somebody with those things, they would bury themselves in the flesh and then they would yank it so that it would rip the flesh when it came out. And I imagine or wonder how many of those I could take. And then it's rather humbling to realize that those were mine. It was by his stripes that we were healed. Because even though he was the second person of the Trinity and I've had theological discussions with people and they say, was God 100% God or was he 100% man? And the answer to the question is yes. He was 100% God and 100% man. But to me, this... Just adds to the amazingness of the story. Because him being whipped like that was no secret to him. He knew it was coming, he chose to take my place. And many people are like, oh no, I just can't live with the fact of thinking that Jesus died for me. That's way too much pressure. Well, it's not when you think about it from his perspective. He took our whipping and would have had it no other way. You couldn't talk him out of it. After all, that's why he came. You ask yourself, the second person of the Trinity, 100% God, 100% man, how many lashings, if you were that person, could you take before you turned around and just went to every one of them? And they whipped people, they laid them over a stump in the center of the courtyard. They chained their hands through an eye, up like a bolt. And they just laid there while they whipped them over and over and over again. He knew it was coming, and he would have had it no other way. The Bible records for us that, again, folks, this isn't a makeup story. This is true history. The Bible records for us that an entire battalion of soldiers, 200 of them, beat him. That's when they took a purple robe and placed it over his shoulders. Fashioned a crown out of thorns, placed it on his head, gave him a reed, And began to mock him. Hail, the king of the Jews. Ever been mocked before? Doesn't feel good. As if that was not enough. Then they take the reed out of his hand and they begin to drive the the crown of thorns that's on his head into his scalp by beating him with the reed over and over again. Not just a story. He knew that was coming too. And he would add it no other way. One of the Gospels records for us that Jesus carried his own cross. The Gospel according to Luke says that Simon of Cyrene bore Jesus' cross. Well, which one of them is correct? Well, I believe the Bible to be without error. So I believe that both of them are true. Jesus started out bearing his own cross. Then Simon of Cyrene was called up to bear it the rest of the way to Calvary. Folks, this is no different than what Jesus Christ has called us to in life. He bore his cross so that we may bear his cross. The gospel according to Luke tells us all in chapter 14 to bear our own cross. It's affirmed throughout scripture that Jesus Christ died for us not so that we could be lazy, that he died for us not so we could remain ignorant, but that he died for us that we may live. And I'm here to tell you, folks, that just because your lungs are drawing air and your heart is beating in your chest, it does not mean you're alive. Scripture's very clear about this. We're supposed to be individuals thanks to what Jesus Christ has done that lives a life that is not our own, but lives a life that is his. How many Christians do you think you could ask today if it's our good pleasure or if we consider it work? Because I guarantee you, a large majority of people who are Christians today, they think it's work. You think Jesus thought it was work to be whipped for us? It was his pleasure. You think that he thought it was work to be mocked, have a crown of thorns driven into his scalp? It was his privilege. It was his passion. The amount of blood that he had lost before he even started carrying his cross would have been immense. From the whipping, from the beating. But he still carried his cross. And Simon was called to carry it for him. Before you get to that point, we talk about the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus went into the garden after the Last Supper to pray. All the Gospels give us a very clear picture of what happened in that garden. On that night, Jesus was troubled. It was his pleasure. But man, did he know what was coming. I mean, it got so bad that it says that the Father sent two angels to comfort him through that night. It got so bad that it says that he bled sweat drops of blood. There's a medical condition that says that that can happen. And anyone who knows the position that Jesus Christ was put in to feel that way, for him to utter the words, Father, if there be any other way, please let this cup pass from me. Jesus is saying, please, if there is any other way other than me to have to go through what it is that I'm going to have to go through, because he's seen the whipping. He knew it was coming. He's seen the mockery. He knew that it was coming. He saw the crucifixion. He knew that it was coming. And he was asking the Father, if there is any other way for this to happen, please don't make me go through this. Thank God he ultimately said, nevertheless, not my will be done, but thy will be done. And here's the way I see it, folks. He's saying, Father, if there is any other way, please don't make me go through this. But if there is no other way, so be it. Because he saw what he was there for, and he saw what it was that he was supposed to accomplish. And if that took him going through the things that he has foresaw, he's willing to do it. His pleasure. It's amazing to watch him through this story, to imagine yourself actually being there, to see the man who was about to undergo the greatest excruciating sacrifice that mankind had ever seen before and had ever seen up to this point. And for him to handle it in such a way is to continue to love us even after the fact. Did you ever take a whipping for someone else? Most of us aren't willing to do that willingly. So let me put it this way. You ever been blamed and punished for something that somebody else did? Was it your pleasure? Knowing what Jesus Christ went through, he had every right in the universe to hold that against us. He just took the blame for everything that we have done in our life everything that everyone had done previous and everything that everyone had done in the future. And I want to lay this out to you, and I want you to know that this is very literal. Jesus Christ has forgiven every sin of every person who has ever trusted in him. So Jesus Christ, who was perfect in life, became a rapist in death a murderer a pedophile a liar a cheater a thief this list could go on forever but we're imagining we're there right so I want to imagine I want you to imagine every... Shortcoming that you experienced in your life, everything that you did that you know is contrary to God's will. And I want you to realize the fact that if you trust in Him, then you made Him everything that you were, and He made you everything that He was. What a deal! Right? You get to commit all of the sin under the sun. Jesus Christ gets blamed for it. And you get to walk away scot-free. As a result, stand before the creator of the universe one day for him to look you in the eye and see the blood of Jesus Christ instead of every blot and sin stain that every one of us have ever bore. Why are we not more dedicated? Why doesn't this fall somewhere a little closer to the top of priorities in our lives? Because when we just talk about the crucifixion, we really cheapen this, folks. You say it's a gift, which is true. Is it a gift equal to a gift you get on your birthday? Maybe one you get for Christmas? Is there even a word for that kind of gift? What can I give him in return? I can give him one thing. It's really the one thing that he's asked for. From my perspective, still isn't worth a whole lot. My heart. It's all he's asked for. But what's the heart have to do with a whole lot? It's the epicenter of the body. When the heart stops, the body dies. As long as the heart beats, the body's alive. So if I give you my heart, I give you my life. And it has no value in and of itself. He gives it value. Why? Because it's His good pleasure. To imagine this man to have gone through what it is that he's gone through. For him to respond, I'm going to go back just a couple of verses. Chapter 23. Look at verse 26, start with 26 real quick. It says, And when they had led him away, they laid hold of one Simon of Cyrene coming in from the country and placed on him the cross to carry behind Jesus. There were following him a great multitude of people and of women who were mourning and lamenting him. But Jesus turning to them said, Daughters of Jerusalem, stop weeping for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren, and the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say, To the mountains, fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things in the green tree, what will happen in the dry? What do you mean by that? Life's pretty good right now, right? I mean, there's a whole lot of talk going on in the world today about people being entitled, right? And all this privilege that's going around. I can tell you as a pastor, I deliver food to people's houses who are in need. Did you know they all have satellites on their houses? They have internet that runs into their house. They have TVs in three or four rooms. Our idea today of poor is not poor compared to what poor used to be. You see, a sinner will continue to live in sin as long as that sin seems to be just fine. Everything's good. What happens when things all of a sudden no longer become good? Because the fact is, folks, and this is a fact, evil consumes everything, even itself. Evil consumes everything, even itself. Jesus is saying, don't cry for me. Cry for you. Because, folks, the fact is, apart from trusting in Christ... Every human being on the planet will go to hell in a handbasket. And I've had conversations with people all the time, well, I'm not that bad of a person. Hell will be wallpapered with good people. It's a fact. Good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. People who know this story of the one who paid the sacrifice, what the price was, don't mourn for me. Mourn for you. Look at 33. When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right, the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they're doing. Another opportunity for Jesus to blame everybody on the planet for what it is that he's going through. And even the very men who are nailing him to the tree. He says, Father, don't hold this against them. They really don't know what they're doing. You would think... That a guy who went through what he's gone through would just expect people to toe the line. How dare you? I'm innocent. I've done nothing to deserve this. But he knew we did plenty for him to deserve this. The world... It's easy to see, walks in ignorance. It's easy to see that it walks in ignorance. People would rather call it a fairy tale than even research the possibility that this is real. People enjoy making their own choices, feeling like they're not under somebody's authority. I've lived both lives. I spent 16 years of my life wading through the garbage of the fallen world. And people come to me and they say, you don't know what you're talking about. Well, I can tell you I have 16 years of experience on the one side. I have 33 years of experience on the other there is no amount of money on the planet that can make me turn back they say prove it I'm like look how many of the apostles were martyred all but one the one that wasn't was boiled in oil and lived he survived being boiled in oil. He still wouldn't shut up about Jesus, so they locked him away on an island somewhere so he couldn't have that much of an impact on things. How many people you think are willing to do that for a made-up story? You think Peter was willing to be crucified upside down for a fake story? You Think James was willing to have his head cut off for a fake story? I mean, if you were living out a lie, when they put your head down on the block, don't you think you'd come clean? Or before they dipped you in boiling oil, don't you think you'd come clean? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. We really don't. But I say in many cases, it's willful willful ignorance. It's not just ignorance. We desire to stay ignorant. Because as the Apostle Paul talked about, this, this war that was raging in his members, the spirit fighting against the flesh, that fight is real, and every human being who is a believer in Jesus Christ knows the fight. You know the struggle. Scientists. They say us Christians have something wrong with us. We have an extra gene. Because science can't figure out what's wrong with us. Because human beings are very self-indulgent. We're lustful individuals. We desire nothing but satisfaction. And we live life uncontrollable. Then somebody who trusts in Jesus walks on the scene and they desire to be in a monogamous relationship. Well, that don't fit the narrative. They don't want to be controlled by the bottle. That don't fit the narrative. Even if they can get away with it, they won't lie, cheat, or steal. That don't fit the narrative. You know what the explanation is? There's something wrong with them. The fact is there's something right with us. We know the price that was paid for the life that we live. People say, yeah, but man, if I become a Christian, I have to change. I've never changed one iota in my life that I regret. I still have things he needs to change. Anybody else with me? Every one of us are sinners saved by grace. We have the hyper-religious who tell us we need to pretend we're perfect. Then we have the other people that just tell us that we're dirty dogs and we're not worthy of anything. The truth is we're somewhere right in the middle. Perfect won't become us until we take our last breath. But just because I'll never be perfect doesn't mean I shouldn't strive for it. Why? Why? Why does God give us all of these rules? Glad you asked. For the exact same reason that Jesus Christ went through everything that he went through. Jesus went through everything to pay the price so that we could be saved. Jesus calls us to be individuals who are conformed to his image so that we are individuals who can believably Hand out a gospel message that has the power to save souls. Is a liar believable? Pretty important if you're going to tell the gospel and it's a true story. That you not be a liar. You better not be a backbiter. Better not be a gossip. Better not be a thief. People walk around the planet saying, Oh, God's so cruel, he won't let us do anything. He's so cruel that he went through what he went through and has asked us to go through what we go through so that people who are out there who don't know him can know him. He did the most selfless act in all of history, and he's asked us to do the best job that we can in mimicking that. can only imagine the pain that Jesus Christ went through. And the Bible records for us that from the sixth hour to the ninth hour after Jesus had died, darkness fell across the land. You know, that's in history too. There was a point in time around the time that this story had happened that there was three hours in broad daylight the entire planet went black. The amount of time that Jesus Christ himself raised his voice and said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That point in time where the trinity that had always been for at least a time had become fractured the trinity of three became two. And it had to literally be like having a part of your body ripped away from itself. Don't feel bad because of what Jesus did. The Bible giving us all this information doesn't give us the information to make us feel bad. <clears throat> it gives us that information so that we are very aware of what it is that we should be grateful for. I took the sign down. It's still on my desk. I'll put it back up. It's handwritten. <clears throat> and this was maybe 10 years ago. I'm sitting in my office. I was looking over a passage of scripture. I was getting ready to do a funeral for a man who was a believer in Jesus Christ, was in the military. And I wrote down on that piece of paper, totally inspired, not out of my own brain, never forget the price of this privilege. We live in a great country. Is it perfect? Far from it. Does it aggravate me? It does. Was it a gift from God? It is. The Bible's very clear. There is no government that has ever been established that was not established by God. The price of this privilege? Soldiers helped secure it for us in this country. Jesus helped us secure it for our eternity. And this isn't a place that we should come back to every Easter. This is a place that we should lead from every morning when our feet hit the floor. One day we blossom the cross. It's fine. One day we make breakfast for everybody to eat at 8 o'clock in the morning. That's fine. How often is Easter for a Christian? It better not be once a year. Thank you for joining us today. If you have questions about becoming a Christian, prayer requests, or just want to say hello, you can reach us at facebook.com forward slash Southern BC. We hope that this message was encouraging to all of our listeners. Have a blessed week.